Genesis chapter 1, very first pages of our Bible. We're going to be reading this chapter together before Mez comes and brings God's word to us. And we'll start from verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together and into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its uh, kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs of the seasons of the days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give lights on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said that the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said that the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps in the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Amen. This is God's word. Um, we, as you know, have started this year working through, we're going to do the book of Genesis in 12 months, just because we're a 
stupid like that. But uh, we've been going to take quite a lot of time on the first few chapters of Genesis because it's really important. Last week, we looked at Genesis chapter 1 and the first two verses about how we got here. Every single person in this room, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, whether you haven't got a Scooby-Doo, what is going on, has to believe something about how we got here, right? I mean, who made this stuff? Who made the world? The stars, the sun, the moon, the creatures, us. We're going to look and see that God made it all. But others are coming up with every kind of thing they can think of. Oh, it was a big bang. Oh, it was an accident. It was chance. Evolution. And last week we looked at the facts. It's simply this. There is no science of evolution. Evolution is not a science. Evolution is a faith-based belief on how the world came into being, okay? And when we open the Bible at Genesis 1 this morning, Christians are taking in faith that what God says happened, happened. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're here to worship you. We're here to understand you better and to understand our place in this universe that you have created. Help us, Lord, to focus and to listen well, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're just going to jump right in to um, Genesis uh, 1, um, verses 3 to 25. Before we get into the actual text, I need to say at least something about the days. As we read Genesis 1, and I'll work through it in a minute, we're going to see that there were six days of creation. We're going to look at the six and a half days of creation today. We're going to leave the creation of the human race uh, and the Sabbath and so forth to Andy next week. But the, the, the six days of creation break down neatly into two sections. We have three days of forming and three days of filling the earth. And the, the word for day is used in three different ways in the Bible. In verse five, we'll see. Sorry, verse five, we'll see how uh, the light is described as day. And there, in verse five, that relates to a twelve-hour period, the day time. Chapter two, verse four, it, rela- it relates to an unknown period of time. But most of the time, when the word day is used in scripture, and particularly in Genesis, it relates to a twenty-four-hour period of time. I have to tell you that regardless of people's view of evolution, regardless of people's belief in the scripture, pretty much the majority of Hebrew scholars, Christian or otherwise, will admit that word for day in Genesis 1 is 24-hour period. That's what God meant. That's what the Bible says. They find it ridiculous but they will say, yeah, you're right, that's what it means. Now, some Christians have tried to make peace with evolution and suggest that maybe the word day here doesn't mean day, maybe it means millions of years. And that way, you know, if the earth really is anywhere, as we saw last week, from 15 to 75 billion years old, maybe we can sort of make the Bible and evolution fit together. Well, the Bible and evolution don't fit together. The Bible is not interested. The Word of God is not interested in fitting 
together with evolution. The word of God is interested that we listen to what God says, we take him at his word, we believe it, and we live a life of faith according to it. And so let me be clear that when the Bible speaks in Genesis 1, specifically to these verses today, we are talking about day as a 24-hour period of time. Now, if you're really smart, you'll come back to me with 2 Peter 3, verse 8. What does 2 Peter 3, verse 8 say? It says this, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. As Peter speaks to the church, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. There you go. Answer that one then. Well, Peter, in that text, is not saying that a day is a thousand years. But let's say for a minute that Peter is saying a day is a thousand years. That still only makes the earth 6,000 years old, not 6 million. But he's not saying that at all. That text is teaching the church back then to be patient. They were desperate for Jesus to come again. There was all sorts of madness going on. Peter says, calm yourself down. God is not working according to your time. God's view of time is not the same as your time, okay? Be patient. His point is that it can often seem like an impossibly long time to us for God to answer our prayers. That's all that text means. It's got nothing to do with creation, okay? That being said, I'm not going to debate it anymore. Let's jump in. Incidentally, if you are really interested in all the questions, what about the speed of light, what about dinosaurs, what about fossils, you can go on to uh, answersingenesis.org and have fun. There's lots of articles and uh, things about this stuff there. But let's just jump into day one. Day one comes in uh, verse three through verse five. And notice the words of verse three say simply this, God said, that's it. Nothing more was needed. God willed, and it came to pass. What's interesting when we see the words there, let there be light, and there was light. Well, at this point, if you're smart, there's no sun. The sun is not going to be created, at least according to the Bible, for a few more days. Therefore, in uh, Genesis uh, 1 verse 3, the sun is not the source of light, for the world at this point. The source is God Almighty himself. God is the ultimate source of all light in the universe. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6, Paul says this to the church, for God said, let light shine out of darkness. Sorry, for the God who said, let, uh, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The God of light, who is light, for those of us who are Christians, shone his light into our souls, Paul says, in order that we be taken out of spiritual darkness and into spiritual light. Not only that, Revelation 23, sorry, Revelation 21 Verses 23 to 25 say this. And the city, he's talking about the future heaven and earth, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Interesting, why not? The new heavens and the new earth. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp 
is the Lamb, that means Jesus. By its light will the nations walk. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Fascinating. This means the light of day one comes from, and this is a Hebrew terminology that I'll explain, comes from what is known as the Shekinah glory of God. I know most of us haven't got a clue what that means. Let me explain it. We see the Shekinah glory of God described in Exodus 30, sorry, 40, verse 34. We read there that God's glory, His Shekinah glory fills the tabernacle. Ezekiel 43, verse 2 says, The Shekinah glory of God fills the temple. The Shekinah glory of God in the Bible is pictured as a cloud or more often a pillar of fire or more often still an unapproachable light in which God exists eternally. Okay, remember when Moses went up the mountain in Exodus to meet with the Lord, remember what was happened when he came back down? He saw a little fire in a bush. He comes back down. His face is so bright, he has to wear a veil so he doesn't blind people. Why? Because he has just met with the holy God of light and barely got a glimpse of him. That is the light we're talking about in verse 1. In Psalm 104, verse 2, we read that God wears light like a cloak, like a jacket. And then in verse 5, we read, God called the night like day, and of darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. Let's move on very quickly. I'll keep my friend here at the front awake. Day 2, we see in verses 6 to 8, we read, don't we, there, let there be an expanse. It says... An expanse created that surrounds the water-covered globe, otherwise known, you like the technical stuff, stuff, as the atmospheric heavens, the thing above the earth that protects us from the dangers of space. So even though now, by the time we get to verse 2, there's light, the earth is spinning uh, on its uh, axis in space, the earth still at this point is uninhabitable. Without this expense, think of it as a cover. Think of, the, think of the earth like this. A globe filled with water. Just a water-filled globe, remember, last week? And then you have the sky, we look up. And then above, another set of water completely surrounding the entire planet. Without that cover... No life could have existed on earth. Without that cover, we would be as desolate as any other planet that we've discovered in the known universe. Without that cover we, uh, 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 and, uh, and other things to come, we would die. Why? Because to survive, we need both oxygen and water. Without them, you cannot maintain life. So what we've got on, on day two is a watery globe and a watery shield above the earth. And we see, look, don't we, in verse 8, God calls this expanse heaven or space. There was evening and morning. There's a second day. Jump into day three. We'll keep it moving along. 
So we have light and darkness in day one, water below and above the atmosphere in day two. Day three, we read in verse nine that land appears. In fact, it just says dry land appears. I find it remarkable, this text, uh, verse nine. If draw it up again. And God said that the waters be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. What a way to describe the massive forces of power needed to make continents and mountain and land rise up from its watery grave. God said, and they appeared. Incredible. We don't think about the power of the Lord. Even in that, God calls the dry earth land and the waters sea in verse 10. Again, we read, the end of verse 10, look, it was good. The land rising up out of the sea is a sign that God is now bringing order to the formless void of verse 1. Look again, verse 11, God speaks. Now we read this. We have the creation here of, uh, firstly, seed-bearing herbs, and secondly, fruit-bearing trees. Again, fundamental to sustaining life on the planet for human beings that are about to come. There's nothing left to chance here. You've got careful, logical, systematic planning and creation. Now, look, no, notice something about the fruit. The fruit was made, if you, if you look at the text, and you should look at the text. You want to find out whether I'm telling the truth, look at a Bible. Okay, look at the text for yourself. We read there that the, seed, the, 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 the fruit was made with seeds already in, in them. In other words, God makes them mature. So think about it this way. They're literally seconds old and yet fully mature. They're immediately given the appearance of age. One of the questions I often get asked is this. Could God have made the universe look mature? Yes, he could. How do we know? Well, he does it with the plants. He does it with the vegetation. He does it with animals. And he does it with human beings. So why not the heavens and the earth? Jesus, in fact, does a similar miracle or does similar miracles when you think about it. What was happening when Jesus at the wedding turns the water into wine? Those of us who are Christians who understand this story, the surprise when the guests got to it wasn't that the water turned into wine, but the type of wine it was. Aged, mature, proper wine, not cheap stuff. This is Jesus using his creative power there. He does the same thing. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. Have you never thought about this? Jesus turns a few fish and bread into what? He doesn't hand them an oven and a goldfish, does he? Fully formed fish and fully baked bread. Okay? Notice again in verse 11, another word, the word kind. Each according to kind. This is a really important word to understand. God made sure that each fruit and vegetable on the earth could multiply and provide the same fruits and vegetation. That means this. Apple seeds produce what? I mean, this is not a trick science question. Anyone want to guess? Apples. 
We don't produce bananas, do they? You don't plant an apple seed and a bag of chips comes out of the ground. Would be nice if it did. But it doesn't. Stay with me, son. He's hanging in there. Kind is a really, really important word in Genesis. What's going on is this. Fruits and vegetables do not evolve outside their own kinds. We'll get on to the human race later. In fact, you need to understand this as a Bible truth. Nothing in all of creation ever evolves out of its kind. We would use the word species here. If you want to show off at a party, genus. Already, we're only in day three, and we're warring with evolution. Evolution says the world and everything that lives came about this way. The Bible is saying, no, it didn't. It came about this way. We read again in this part of the text that God saw that it was good. And then in verse 13, we see there's morning and evening the third day. So what we've got by day three is a perfect garden coming into being. A world teeming with light and life, all sorts of fruit and vegetables. I mean, God is so pleased with his work on day three that he calls it good twice in verse 10 and verse 12. Let's jump to day four. We're getting there. Day four, 14 to 19. On, on day one, remember, God says, let there be light. What does God say on day four, uh, on day four in verse 14? He says, let there be lights. Plural, okay? Important to note the difference. What is the, what is the point of these lights that God creates? Well, several points. Number one, we read in verse 14, they were to separate day, day and night. To understand which was which. Secondly, look at verse 14. These lights were to be signs of seasons and days and years. This is how the human race, since time began, since the world was created, this is how we understand the time and the seasons of the days, the weeks, and the years. We do it how? We do it through the position of the sun and moon. The whole world lives by these principles. So when the, the one rotation of the earth on its axis, that makes a 24-hour day. One day, okay? It's the rotation of the moon around the earth that takes a month. That determines when a month has passed. It's the earth's rotation around the sun that determines a year. What determines a week? Where does a week come from? Why does the whole world live for the seven-day week? Well, it comes... From the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. It comes from Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. It tells us there that God laid out the plan for how he wanted the human race to live on earth. Work six days, rest on the seventh. Now, if we interpret the days here to mean millions of years, then what God is saying in Exodus 20 to Moses is, Work six million years and worship for seven, on, on the seventh for another million years. Nonsense. It doesn't work like that. The whole world lives by the principles of creation from days, from hours, to days, to weeks, to years, to seasons. And then look at verse 15. The lights are there to give light upon the earth. 
And again, in this section of the scripture, you'll see a little phrase repeated time and again, throughout all of it, sorry. It was so. It was so. It was so. Literally, by the way, that's a Hebrew turn of phrase, which means for as long as the universe lasts. So a fish will be a fish, and it was so. Was he saying a fish will be a fish as long as the universe lasts? Now, the really smart among us are going to ask us a question, this question, if light already existed in day one, then what is this light in day four? How can a day be a day in verse three if a day and a night only got created in, verse, in day four? I spent about 20 hours on this question till my head burst. And in the end, I deleted everything I wrote. I came down to this. The light of day one emanates, comes forth from God. The light needed to sustain life on our planet comes from the God-made sun. Okay? On day four. Light of day one emanates from the Lord. The light of day four is the light needed to sustain all life on earth. It's the difference, simply put. If you want to study it, good luck. And what do we read in verse 15? We read that it was good, and then we come to the end of day four. Now, let me just stop you a little bit, because what I have found fascinating is this. You need to listen carefully. What is fascinating to me as we study the universe is how precise, and I mean precise, I'm talking millimeters, listen up, how precise the distance between Earth and the sun and the stars and our Milky Way is. Every one of those things is in exactly, exactly to the millimeter, I kid you not, exactly in the right position. If all of these things were not in their present position in the universe, right, and we're out by a millimeter, we would not exist. Nothing would. If the earth was a millimeter away, or further away or closer to the sun, we're done. If the sun was not exactly where it is now in the universe, we would be crisped, uninhabitable, a dead Mars-like desert. Little wonder the Bible tells us this, the heavens declare the glory of God. If we were a millimeter off our axis on the earth, just a millimeter, nothing. Even so small you can hardly see it. That much there, we'd all be sucked into space. Come on. That's an accident? That's chance, is it? That's evolution. That's a joke, mate. That's the Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. People don't want to admit it. 
And because they don't want to admit it in their sinful, wicked, rebellious hearts, they'll believe anything, even evolution, even a big bang, anything other than this. God said, and these things came in to being. Isaiah 40, verse 26 tells us to do this. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, the stars, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Jeremiah 32, verse 17 says, Ah, Lord, God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Psalm 147, verses 4 to 5, He, God, determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord, abundant in power, His understanding beyond measure. Psalm 19, 1 to 4, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them, he set a tent for the sun. Here's the point. The sun doesn't just shine. The moon doesn't just reflect the light sun. The stars don't just shine. Each of these things preach to the world about the glory, power, and wisdom of God. That's why day four is so very good. Day five will run through. And we've got a shift in emphasis, now a shift in focus. Now we're on to living creatures. Four days of the earth being prepared. By the start of day five, we've got, we've got uh, the earth has got water, air, plants, fruit, land. Look at verse 20. God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly across the heavens. Birds at this point can fly, fly freely in the space between heaven and earth because of that watery protection. And we read again in verse 21, God creates all of these sea creatures according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Again, no evolution involved here. God created these creatures. They did not crawl out of some primeval soup and evolve arms and legs and wings. In fact, we read they were all created simultaneously. Fascinating and irrelevant, but I like to find it fascinating, so I'm going to share it with you. The word for great sea creature in Hebrew can be translated in modern Greek particularly as dragon and or dinosaur. We read, don't we, in Job of creatures walking the earth so massive that their tails swung like giant trees. There are answers to all our questions about Genesis if we'll only listen to what the Bible teaches. And again, note the words according to their kind. In other words, what? Fish are fish. A fish does not evolve into a crocodile. An animal can adapt to its environment. An animal can mutate to suit its environment. But it cannot evolve into another kind of species. And there is no evidence anywhere in the world to show a fish evolving into a bird or a bird into a horse. Animals stay within their kinds 
And we read verse 22 and 23, God blesses them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening, morning, fifth day. Bang, we're into day six and we're nearly there. Well done for hanging on, big man. Cheers. If I just keep shouting at you, I'll keep you awake. Right, here's what you get. God said that the earth bring forth creatures, listen to the phrase again, according to their kinds. Livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth, according to their kinds. And again, it was so. That means this. They would remain their kind for as long as the universe remained. It was so is such a key phrase. Fascinating, the Hebrew language. Anyway, I don't want to bore you with that. So God moves in day five to day six from sea to and air animals to land animals. Again, all land animals created by God, not evolved from sea creatures as evolution teaches. Three categories of land animal day six. Here we go. Number one, cattle and livestock. These, these are what we would call domestic animals, cows, goats, animals that can provide milk, animals that can be tamed to work. Creeping things. That's just not dodgy blokes. That is animals, literally actually translates as animals close to the earth, lizards, frogs. Animals low down on the ground. Thirdly, beast of the earth. There's your wild animals, your lions, your bears, etc. And again, here's a little tip for you. Notice in the Bible that the birds are made before the land animals, right? Well, evolution teaches that land animals came before the birds. At odds, not what the Bible teaches. The animal gods make in the early part of day six, listen, they'll have included everything from elephants to, to dung beetles. Animals and creatures of every size, according to its kinds. Where did these animals come from? That's the fascinating thing to me. Where did they come from? Verse 24, they came forth, where? Out of the earth. Human beings are about to be formed out of the earth as well. So we've got these animals formed out of the earth. They weren't made out of nothing. Remember day one, God said, when it came to be, out of nothing. Animals are made out of matter that already exists. And again, verse 25, God saw that he'd made it was good. In other words, there's no place for evolution here whatsoever. Why? There's no death. There's no struggle of millions of years of animals dying and killing and eating one another and survival of the fittest. Again, land animals can adapt to their environments. Species can change and mutate and adapt, but they can't change and mutate and adapt outside of their kind. You know, we can crossbreed dogs today, can't we? With some ridiculous animals, can't we? Some of the most brain-dead creatures on earth, some of these crossbreeds. At many of them, superly unhealthy because of their genetics shouldn't have been mixed in the first place. You can breed a dog with a dog. Two different kinds of dog, you'll still get a dog. You couldn't mix a whippet with a hippo. Well, you could try, I suppose. Maybe uncomfortable for somebody. God looks at his work and he declares it to be good. 
So now what we've got as we close this morning, preparing us for next week, by the, by the middle, well, by the afternoon of day six, let's say, the world is now fully developed and prepared to sustain all human life. People say, well, what, what, was it done in, does it matter? Six million, six billion, six days? Well, he could have done it in a millisecond, couldn't he? He could have done it in six seconds. But he does it in six days. Why? And this is important. To install order and to provide the pattern of life for the human race that was about to come. Six days of work and one of rest was God's original design for human flourishing. So let's think of, let's think of the world by day six. Think of it like this. God has made a brand spanking new luxury mansion, fully furnished, perfect, no problem, no plumbing problems, no issues, the cupboards full to bursting with food of every kind. And all that needs to happen now is for the human race to pick up the keys. And we're going to find out about that next week. Let me, let me just end with God's words in response to today's text. Because we've whipped through it, and I know it's been quick. Again, if you want to look at it in detail, you should, I encourage you to do so. But God made the world in six days and everything in it. Our response should merely be this, Psalm 147, 7 to 11. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre, on the harp. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. If God did what he says he's done, if we are right and the Bible is right and God has done all of this. Don't you think it's worth at least some of our time to investigate the rest of the Bible and to investigate what God wants from us? Because he hasn't made us without a reason and without a purpose. You may feel without a reason, without a purpose in your life, but God has not made the world to be that way. He has made us to have purpose. He's made us to have hope. He's made us to have light and life in Jesus Christ. So we should take some time if we're serious about these things. So listen carefully over the following weeks and months as we understand more and more about why the Lord has brought all of this and us into being. Amen.